folks, welcome back to Indaba Africa. This is Chris once again. Hello, folks, and welcome back to Chris White Africa here on the Indaba Africa channel, the Indaba Broadcasting Network. Today is Friday, May 28th, 2021. Wow. Year and a half into this manure, and we are still dealing with it, with countries completely clueless as to how to handle it and what to do, and miscalculating, misrepresenting things. Yesterday, there was a major court case in Cape Town, South Africa, in which a group of citizens demanded that the government show them the RNA. The government came with stacks and stacks of paper, lots of excuses. The hearing started in the morning, they recessed for lunch, and it continued throughout the day before eventually the judge dismissed the case. Interesting case. And that's about all I can say on this censored channel. We talk about truth beyond that and will be deplatformed. Now, Bloomberg News can report on this and share every detail of it, and nothing happens to them. But small independent journalists like myself are under attack and under siege by YouTube and its flying monkeys each and every day. So I will not comment further on that case to avoid being accused of spreading something that's not true. Interesting now how the U.S. government is investigating intelligence community claims about where a certain uh, ailment came from in a certain part of the world in which people claim that it was not naturally occurring, but man-made. And those people are deplatformed from Twitter, from Facebook, from Instagram, from YouTube, all over the past year. Only now for the government to actually be doing it, all the major news networks to be breathlessly reporting on that which clear-thinking, rational, intelligent, cogent human beings asked a general question about last year and said something's quite suspicious here. Why isn't it being investigated? Well, 18 months into it now, these uh, clowns are actually investigating this stuff and everyone else has been deplatformed, defrauded, and deprived of a source of revenue and professional reputations damaged by big tech titans. But let's get to the news. Today is Friday, May 28th, 2021. Indaba Africa News of the Day. Here are the headlines, ladies and gentlemen, from around Africa and other parts of the world. Let's start off with former Transnet Chief Financial Officer Ano Sange was deceived as the knives come out at the state capture inquiry. The African National Congress's love affair with state ownership of all the means of production, that's what we call communism, Knows no bounds as it continues to find ways to infiltrate and steal from the private sector, even without using or resorting to outright theft. This time, the state mail carrier, which is useless and is incapable of performing its basic function, they seek to hand over a bank to it. PostNet Bank, that's right. The government wants to get in the banking business. It's already a business that's got many challenges. Some good news in South Africa, it appears that the Western Cape's tourism sector has spiked over 2020's dismal numbers. And what are you going to be paying, paying Cape Town and Joburg for electricity, water rates as the government once again, which has control of all of these facilities, ups the price by an astronomical figure? Let's take a look at that as we get into the news. Car power ship fires back. Shots fired, folks. Shots fired as the Turkish company, which is embroiled in a, an alleged corruption scandal with Guedi Mentasha now, has struck back, accusing co-competitors of corruption. <laughs> the knives are out. <laughs> Take a lot, the South African Amazon imitator, continues its sale, which began on May 24th, continues to June 2nd. Massive sale in South Africa. Lots of people having trouble accessing the site because of the deluge of customers seeking to buy things at good prices for a change. And Germany has reached an agreement on its plan to apologize for a genocide it did not commit something that happened over a century ago by four different countries ago who just happened to bear the name Germany. 
this country, the Federal Republic of Germany, has no bearing, no relationship, no responsibility for the actions of the German Empire that took place at the turn of the 20th century. Nonetheless, these buffoons have decided to apologize for it and pay reparations, although they claim they're not reparations. And here's the thing. It's a joke. Germany has paid billions of dollars into Namibia's aid and helping that country over the past 30 years. Now, for the next 10 years, they promise to pay 1.3 billion euros, or approximately $150 million per year for development projects. It's all just a game. It's a way to shake down people over their guilt, over their false perception of reality. And Sadak, who told you this first? Who told you this two months ago? Who told you this repeatedly? And who told you again yesterday? That's right, Chris White Africa told you that the Southern African Development Community would do nothing in Cabo Delgado. Certainly not in within 90 days. It wasn't going to happen. Certainly wasn't going to happen for sure within 60. I was correct there. Unlikely to happen within 90. And they may never do anything. Well, for sure it won't happen within 90 now because we're now two months past the events on the 24th of March in Cabo Delgado. And Sadek walks away from his Troika meeting deciding not to do anything for the moment. Pumzile van Dam, former member of parliament for the Democratic Alliance and still a member of the party, according to her second message, has written an op-ed piece talking about big tech roasting Facebook for backing out of a deal to appear before the parliament in South Africa and then praising Google for its forthrightness. Well, the naivete of Pumzile van Dam is on full display in this op-ed, and I'll expose that as we go on. Nothing against Pumzile van Dam, but when you're naive and don't know where you're going, someone needs to help you out of the forest. And here's a hand, Pumzile. Let me help you find your way out of the forest and back into reality here. President Ba Andao and Prime Minister Mokhtar Wan were released after tendering their resignations in Mali. And Egypt, oranges, nearly the world's largest export of oranges. Can you imagine? One would have thought the United States would be leading the world in that category. But apparently Egypt is encroaching on that space and is about to become the largest export of oranges. Who knew? Good news story for Egypt. And Africans need to take responsibility for the historic slave trade. So says a Benoit with an art display. Today is the International Day of the United Nations Peacekeepers. Today also happens to be the day <laughs> that UNAMID, the United Nations mission in Darfur, abandons Darfur. Hong Kong's Jimmy Lai gets another 14 months in prison. The 73-year-old uh, successful businessman has been imprisoned by fearful commies, the tearful and fearful communists in Hong Kong, answering to their masters in Beijing, have extended his imprisonment for 14 months over involvement in a pro-democracy protest back in 2018 or 2019. We'll take a look at that. And the Chinese Communist Party has censored friends. Friends? Phoebe? Monica? Chandler? They censor them? Indeed, they've censored Friends Reunion. <laughs> yeah. And this is the kind of governance that, that Ilyan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Nancy Pelosi, Rashida Tlaib, Chuck Schumer want for this country. No, thank you. And President Joe Biden's $6 trillion budget. No, I didn't stumble. $6 trillion budget. The USA Today, actually, a leftist rag, actually reports that it, it may increase our debt. May increase our debt? <laughs> Revenue to the federal treasury is only around $4 trillion. If that, <laughs> it will definitely increase our debt and bury us and cause the eventual collapse of our currency and our nation. This hideous, hideous, disgraceful budget pretending to be a way to create jobs, actually destroying jobs and destroying social cohesion in this country. $6 trillion budget. The federal budget is larger than virtually every country in the world's entire gross domestic product. Only China, Japan, possibly Germany, exceed $6 trillion a year in economic output. 
This is off the charts unbelievable. I introduced you to Breeze Airways recently, just this week, and Breeze Airways has now had its maiden flight. We'll talk about that. Congratulations to Breeze Airways, a new competitor in the air market here in the United States. And the Stormers have re-signed Juan de Jong and Dion Fleury to the Stormers. They'll make their appearances in July for the Stormers. Congratulations to my Stormers team out there in Cape Town. Excellent news to brilliant players. It's good to see them back in the white and blue hoops for Western Province and for the Stormers. And the Pro 14 Rainbow Cup final competition between the Northern Branch, which would be all the teams that were in it, minus the Cheetahs and Lions who were kicked out of the Pro 14 rugby unceremoniously and replaced by four South African teams who abandoned <laughs> who abandoned a super rugby. And they were supposed to play against these teams in Europe. But unfortunately, hysteria over the pandemic kept them from traveling to Europe back and forth. So they had a Southern Pro 14 Rainbow Cup competition, and they'll take on the Northern champion in Treviso, Italy. One of the epicenters of this pandemic in the early stages, and they're going to hold this game in Italy, in Treviso. And only 1,000 spectators will be invited. Well, congratulations to Italy for scoring this victory, but why couldn't this have been done in, say, Stockholm or a traditional rugby place like the UK or Ireland? Well, 1,000 spectators. At least in the UK, they're allowing 10,000 spectators for the USA Eagles versus England that takes place on July 4th and the game the next week against Canada. And at Murray Field for the game against Japan as part of the bizarre British and Irish Lions tour. How do you tour in Scotland? That's part of the British and Irish Lions. They are allowing 14,500 spectators, but only 1,000 in Treviso for an event that takes place on June 19th. Those are the news and headlines, ladies and gentlemen, from today, the 28th of May, 2021. Let's get to in-depth news and analysis about these topics that I've just covered. Well, it seems that I was deceived. <laughs> Former Transnet Chief Financial Officer Ano Sange tells inquiry, that face says it all. <laughs> Look at this hapless sack. <laughs> this is from the Daily Maverick. Ano Sange says he was not party to the knowledge that Regiment's Capital, owned by Salim Asa, had links to the Gupta-linked alleged money laundering firm called Albatim. While the links and the depths, the, the machinations go so far around. Thursday, he before the state capture inquiry, former Transnet CFO Sanj claimed they have no recollection about behind-the-scenes dealings with Regiment's Capital, owned by Gupta associate Salim Asa. Sanj was at the inquiry to testify about his involvement in the increased payments given to regiments, a consultancy firm that provided financial advice to Transnet during its project to acquire 1,064 locomotives. Regiments worked with McKinsey & Company, another consultancy firm on the project. But back in March, former Transnet CF CEO Brian Molefa <laughs> told the inquiry that he had trusted Sanj's recommendations on the deal, specifically on increased in costs. In April 2014, Molefa approved increased payments to regiments' capital. Sanj, who was CFO at the time, prepared a memorandum in which regiments' payments increased from $21 million to $99.5 million. But Sanj knew nothing about it. Strange, that. <laughs> the knives come out, ladies and gentlemen. The, 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 I, I tell you, all these people must develop um, Alzheimer's or, or they have dementia because they simply can't remember the crimes they've committed. They can't recall what they did. They can't recall who they paid. They can't recall anything. This is what happens when the state is involved in private enterprise. This pervasive corrupt and stealing from the people. It's off the charts. Speaking of the state involved in private enterprise, the ruling angry naughty children, African National Congress in South Africa, has decided that the post office should have a savings bank. 
Yes, that's right. Post-net savings bank. Kind of like what the Germans and European countries used to do. While the world is advancing into the 21st century with things like digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, and platforms, credit cards, you know, online payment systems, you know, improved ways to do finance, it seems the ANC wants to fall back to the early part of the 20th century, the late 19th century, in which banks were the source of savings accounts and for the average citizen to go to. Nope. Simply open the bank charter, allow proper banks to be organized, prevent the big predators, the big five, who control the banking market in South Africa from preying upon them by giving them certain protections to allow them to flourish until they can compete effectively against these oligarchs who control the banking sector in South Africa. But no, the ANC wants to try one bad thing after another. Government moves ahead with grand ambitions to secure banking license for Postbank. This is by Ray Machala. Uh, from Business Maverick. Within the next few months, the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies will approach the South African Reserve Bank on behalf of PostBank for a full banking license. The full license would pave the way for PostNet's entry into the highly competitive banking industry. It's not competitive. It's cutthroat, and it's an oligarchy. The post office and the government have ambitions to launch a fully-fledged bank wall for financial services such as loans to the poor and unbanked population, individuals and small business owners who are not catered for by the established commercial banks. I have said this for the past 20 years, and one thing I would very much like to get involved in in Africa is bringing banking to the masses. Most Africans, not in South Africa, although large numbers in South Africa, but across Africa, virtually no Africans have access to commercial banks. Banks do not exist in Africa for consumers. Banks exist in Africa for big corporations and governments to loan money to. That's who they're there for. They do have retail banking services for customers, but you are an annoyance, if anything or they do it for expats or for the incredibly wealthy to help them with their money. They have little interest in providing banking to someone that makes $50 a week or less. Well, I do. And I believe it can be done at a reasonable price through volume. If I have 2 million banking customers that make less than $50 a week and I make 50 cents in fees off of them for services, that's enough to make a bank work. I don't need the government to do this. South Africans don't need the government to do this. They simply need to end the oligarchy that ABSA and First National Bank and the others in the banking sector in South Africa control. They have a chokehold on banking in South Africa. That's why credit card fees are so high. Hotels and rental car agents and such traditionally pay as much as 5% for every transaction. That's why many places ask you simply paying cash because it costs them 5%. And in industries with low margins like the grocery industry, that takes a big cut out of what they make. It's another reason why for a long time, the petrol industry only allowed people to use debit cards in South Africa. Couldn't use a credit card. Debit card, there's no fee. But with a credit card, there was a merchant fee. So they refused to accept credit cards, which led to me being forced to carry large sums of cash every time I travel to South Africa with my V8. No, no, South Africa's post bank has no business in the banking sector. Private entities should be. And anyone that wants to get involved in banking in South Africa, get in touch with me. Let's get the resource together and we will make it happen. And we will provide banking services for the poor. But the services won't be simply offering accounts and taking risks. It will be also offering free education, financial literacy to people so they understand what banking is and how to save their seed corn for tomorrow and a brighter day and increase their wealth, not simply be a client you take money from. That's my mission in life and that's what I hope to achieve. We'll get around to that hopefully sometime soon. But for some good news in South Africa, the Western Cape has seen a spike in tourism. Now, I don't know if this takes us back to the levels we saw previously, but Cape Town or Western Cape has seen a spike based off the dismal numbers from last year when people were locked up like prisoners in their homes all over South Africa. And the minister of police took glee, nearly sporting an erection, telling people that, woohoo, we arrested 230,000 South Africans during the lockdown stages. Ooh, all excited about arresting people for lawful behavior and criminalizing lawful conduct in South Africa. But the Western Cape has seen a spike now. 
AXA data reveals Cape Town International saw a 65% recovery over Easter compared to 2020. Well, that's good news. But it's not just tourism. That would also include business travelers. Tourism sector in Western Cape, which is the mainstay of the provincial economy before the pandemic, is on the path to recovery driven by an increase in domestic travel. Well, international travel plays a big role here, too. It needs to happen. The Western Cape is one of South Africa's economic powerhouses, contributing about 15% to GDP, while Hauteng contributes just over a third. The two of them generate half of South Africa's entire economy, those two provinces. What are you going to be paying for electricity, ladies and gentlemen? Well, let's take a gander at that at Cape Town, Joburg, and Durban. Electricity and water bills. Hmm. Cape Town versus Joburg versus Durban. Here's how much you'll be paying for electricity and other rates as the government-controlled entities continue to jack up their rates. An estimated increase of 17.8% for the supply of electricity to all municipalities will take effect on July 1st. So for electricity, Cape Town will see a 13.48% increase, Joburg 14.59, and Durban 14.59. Water increases will be smaller at 5% for Cape Town, 6.8% for Joburg, and 8.5% for Durban. Refuse removal also goes up. This is what happens when you allow the government to control things and set rates. Allow private enterprise to flourish. My rubbish is picked up by a private company. Now, their rates have gone up, but that's because of the rules of the Chinese trying to punish America by not accepting recycling anymore. Things we used to recycle in this country, for some idiotic reason, are shipped all the way across the Pacific to China and recycled there. Well, the Chinese uh, changed their requirement of, you know, of debris, parts per, per million, and lowered it to an unachievable threshold, preventing much of the recycling from getting to China. This has led to an increase in cost as instead of recycling here, our recycling industry having collapsed in many respects, it's now stuck into landfills, an idiotic situation. And that's pushed the cost up for rubbish removal. My rubbish removal has gone up more than I'd like it to, but it has gone up a total of about $11 in five years. It's not bad over five years. And that's driven mostly by the Chinese impact on our economy and their capricious rules. But let private sector handle it. You get quality service and competition, which gives better results for consumers as long as the operators are legitimate and they're overseen by government. Well, Car Powership, the Turkish firm that refits cargo ships and turns them into power generating stations, parking them offshore to deliver electricity in places like Lebanon, has this massive 225 billion rand contract with the South African government and claims that they want it illegally, courtesy of Guede Mantasha. Well, Car Power Ship has slammed a rival bidder in court papers, accusing them of corruption. <laughs> Shots fired. The Turkish-like consortium has in court papers denied any involvement in corruption and a hit back at accuser DNG Power Holdings asking why, if DNG was aware of corruption, it said nothing until its bid was disqualified. Well, that's a fair question. That is a fair question. A 59-page affidavit filed with Pretoria High Court last week, Car Power Ship's business development director, Mehmet Katmer, turn the allegations on DNG. DNG takes the opportunity of repeatedly making utterances of corruption surrounding the tender process only because it was not appointed the preferred bidder. Yet on its version, it was aware of facts pertaining to alleged corruption as far back as July 2020, some 10 months ago, and it did nothing until its bid was disqualified. Well, it's a fair statement by Car Powership. If DNG actually knew about this corruption, why did it not say anything? Did they hope that maybe their corruption wouldn't let them get the contract? One has to wonder. Once again, folks, take a lot. The South African uh, Amazon uh, clone has had a uh, anniversary sale. It's 10th anniversary. And, of course, emerged from former uh, online uh, purveyors like Kalahari.net, uh, a company that I used to shop at in Africa. But uh, take a lot is 10 years old. It's having a big sale from the 24th of May to the 2nd of June. A lot of people had trouble accessing its site because of the deluge of customers there. But the sale is still on. Big take-a-lot sale, price cuts on smartphones, TVs, and gadgets. 
with hundreds of specials across all categories, Take A Lot promises savings of 10 million rand each day. Take A Lot officially launched in 2011 by Tiger Global Management and former NASPERS executive Kim Reed. There you go. They had an experienced management team and deep pockets. So it became the premier online merchant. Germany has reached an agreement on its reparations deal. Germany to fund projects in the movie to atone for colonial crimes. Once again, Germany is not responsible for the crimes that occurred there. Nor are the Herero who murdered 343 Germans on remote settlements and ranches. The people that did that are long since dead. The moving government says Germany will fund infrastructure, healthcare, and training projects over 30 years. 30 years? Well, my, I, missed, I thought it was 10 years. My mistake. 1.3 billion over 30 years. That's ridiculous. That's 13 million. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thousands of rare and now were killed by German colonial forces between 1904 and 1980 after tribes rebelled against German rule, then named German Southwest Africa, Deutsche Südwest Africa. Survivors were driven into the desert where many ended up in concentration camps to use the slave labor. Many died from cold, malnutrition, exhaustion, as well as poisoned wells and outright shootings on site. There was a shoot-to-kill order that was issued by the Schutztruppe. That is all true. Herrera Paramount Chief Vicky Rucco told Reuters the reported agreement was a sellout. I would agree. I would absolutely agree. It's a sellout by the German government that's not responsible for it. And if you want to assist the Herrero, you should assist the Herrero and the Nama, not the government in Namibia. That's what should be done. And $1.3 billion over 30 years is ludicrous. That's less money than they currently spend on foreign assistance in Namibia. Absolutely ridiculous. This whole thing is, is just a whitewash. It's a disgrace on the part of Berlin and Angela Merkel, the feckless communists from the former German Democratic Republic. Yeah, not democratic. Yes. And it's also disgraced by Hage Kingab's government in accepting this bid and also excluding the Herero and Nama, Nama people from the conversation. Well, you heard it here first, folks. I told you that the Southern African Development Community was useless, feckless, and is a body that's really just there to satisfy its members' urge to whine about things and then take no action. They do reach agreements on minor things like some trade issues, transport, and seamless connectivity. But when it comes to security and defense, they are pretty much useless. All SADAC missions in the past have been led because of a hegemon that wanted to happen. Operation Bolias that occurred twice in Lesotho in the 1990s, late 1990s, was because South Africa insisted on the operation and hoodwinked the Botswana Defense Force into going along with them. The SADAC mission to Comoros was at the behest of South Africa because they wanted to go to Comoros. And so multiple nations participated in it. SADC missions are only done when South Africa wants it to happen, by and large, peacekeeping missions. The horrific events in Palma in northern Mozambique in the city, in the province of Cabo Delgado on March 24th, and since then, are being ignored by the world community and the body that ought to be responsible for this with its so-called standby force of peacekeepers, which are not standing by, not prepared. It's all fiction. It's all vaporware by the African countries who continue to lie and mislead the world to get aid and assistance <clears throat> from Western donors to train and equip their militaries on the false promise that there will be peacekeeping troops coming from the African standby force. It's a complete farce, as is the ACERC. That's the Africa Crisis Response Initiative that was supposed to be a coalition of willing parties like South Africa to send peacekeepers in an immediate crisis. The ACERC is also vaporware. African Union, Southern African Development Community, not there. The SADAC Troika released a press release yesterday, and this says that they're basically not going to do anything. Covered by Bloomberg, a block of Southern African nations said on Thursday it will shore up, work to shore up Mozambique security forces as they battle escalating insurgency, but made no mention of proposals for military intervention. So they're going to train the FATM. 
That's the force, the Mozambican Armed Forces. But they're not going to send any troops up there. We adopted measures aiming to eliminate, by its roots, the terrorist actions to reinforce the operational capacity of Mozambique's defense and security forces. This uh, from President Yusi. Well, here's the problem with that, ladies and gentlemen. The, pro the, the issue here is not shoring up the elements. The reason for these actions are because of the government's failures in governance. Not because the FADM is not capable. I mean, the FADM sat back and guarded the Total Natural Gas Facility. They didn't go in and do anything. That was left to the Dyke Advisory Group and anyone else who could help. They had an opportunity to intervene. They had thousands of troops in the area and they did nothing. Well, hundreds of troops, I should say, nearly a thousand troops, 850 troops. Ridiculous, ridiculous. This is all nonsense. In the meantime, innocent people suffer. But that's the way of the world, isn't it? Innocent people always suffer. Pumzili Fadam has penned an op-ed. The former member of parliament and a so-called self-declared misinformation expert and communication strategist has written this. Now, this is not any commentary attack, a personal attack by me on Pumzile van Damme. I have no desire to do that. Uh, I don't don't have any dog in the fight with or for or against Pumzile van Damme, but she does seem to have a degree of naivete. Now, she writes in here she has naivete, but she doesn't get the reason she has naivete. She closes the op-ed with a very telling remark, and I'll show you that as we go through this. Pumzile Dam says Facebook has issued a statement denying that it had refused to appear before the committee. It only postponed the meeting because the committee had not invited other tech giants. This is a blatant untruth. She claims that uh, they invited Google as well, and Google also um, agreed to come, and Facebook pulled out. So she said, I found it particularly important and a point I intended to raise that Facebook's content monitors be provided to cover all 11 official languages in the lead up to this year's local elections. Largely, relies on artificial intelligence to moderate content. AI is often unable to detect nuance and post, and certainly not in South Africa's languages other than English. She wants them to be doing all the languages for content creation? That's insane. With an hour of the committee agreeing to invite Facebook, I received a phone call from a man who informed me that he was from a company lobbying for Facebook. I was annoyed and told him that I do not appreciate Facebook thinking it can hire lobbyists to spin on its behalf. If Facebook had anything to say to me, it would have to contact me directly. He assured me Facebook would present itself to the committee and it would be in touch. The weeks to follow were tense. I feared Facebook would pull out. Eventually they did. And they said it was because no one else was participating, but Google was participating. This is supposed to take place on May 25th, the hearing. A few days before the meeting, Except for May 25th, she received a phone call from the chairperson of the committee, Boyce Manelik, informing her that Facebook had pulled out. Their concern, he informed her, was that the committee had not invited other tech giants to provide similar briefings. She said, my heart sank, but he told me Google Africa had responded positively to the committee's request and even submitted its presentation, and this had been communicated to Facebook to ease its worries. Following day, despite being informed of Google's attendance, Facebook still refused to appear before the committee. She says, I will admit some idealistic naivete on my belief that self-regulation can still work if improved. It would require platforms to tweak social media algorithms to prevent amplification of harmful misinformation and to better protect users' private data. But you see, the problem there, Pumzile van Damme, is who determines what's harmful information. There is not a single moment, second instance of harmful information on my original channel on YouTube, yet YouTube censored my channel. Why? Because I reported facts and offered insightful, cogent analysis, which they feared, and so they canceled that channel. So who determines what harmful information is? The private sector? The government? Utter ridiculousness. Free speech is free speech. Unless someone is advocating harm of someone else, what are you afraid of? And this is where your naivete comes in, Pumzile Fandam.
She intends to continue to lend her voice and expertise to efforts to combat misinformation on a global level, as well as at home. In South Africa, the effects of Bell Pottinger live on, and I do not intend to stand on the sidelines. A team is being assembled to tackle misinformation during the election to ensure a free flow of ideas without manipulation of public discourse. Now, somehow I find that to be comical and laughable on its face. While she did wonderful things in exposing Bell Pottinger, where, where, where is her conversation about the cover-up about murders in South Africa? and the disinformation by government ministers. No discussion of that. She was in the opposition. She should have been exposing Beckett Seeley's frauds. She should have been exposing the transport ministry's frauds. She should have been exposing all of the National Coronavirus Command Council's frauds and their use and misuse of social media in spreading misinformation. But that's never been on her agenda. It's never been her chart. And she should also be standing up for the consumer and for the content creator who don't spread this misinformation and are deplatformed. So your naivete is far deeper than you realize, Pumzila. She says, Google's openness should serve as an example to other big tech companies in South Africa. It's far more desirable to operate hand-in-hand rather than a litigious and acrimonious pace. But see, the problem is Google's not transparent. They're not transparent. Google owns YouTube. They purchased it. And they're not transparent. They don't have the human beings that even review content. They simply allow trolls to falsely report information they don't like, leftist trolls, and then they take down the content automatically without dealing with their partners on a person-to-person basis. To be fair, they have tens of millions of videos loaded up every hour, so that's a near impossible task unless you hire people. But the frugal company of Google, which is making billions off of fleecing 45% of ad revenue and taking 30% of content creators' membership revenue, making a fortune off of them, and now, starting June 1st, will make money off of every single video. The hundreds of millions of channels that are not monetized, they'll take 100% of revenue because they've been losing revenue over their actions. They're not transparent. They're opaque. At best, they hide behind a veneer of normalcy, which doesn't exist at Google. So you are very naive, Pumzile van Damme. And this, this attack on Facebook, which I have no objections to, Facebook has lots of challenges and problems because they didn't appear before your committee. Well, I'm sorry. Is that why you left government? Because your feelings were hurt? Because YouTube or because, because Facebook wouldn't appear before the parliament in South Africa and you felt betrayed? I, I don't know. It all corresponds around the exact same time. So maybe they're unrelated. But saying Google is transparent is laughable on its surface. And if you really think Google's transparent, then you're very poorly informed. And talk about misinformation, you're claiming they're transparent misinformation. I will send you four emails from YouTube in which they took down a video which had no children, never talked about children, no images of children, no portrayal of children, and the videos weren't visible by children. They couldn't view the videos. Yet fraudulently removed four times in the same 24 hours, one day, for child safety policy violations. Appealed, reinstated, removed, appealed, reinstated, removed, appealed, reinstated, removed. Four times in 24 hours. That's just fraudulent. Not once did Google contact me and say, hey, hey, what's going on here? No, because their artificial intelligence took it down and no human reviewed it. That's the bottom line. They're not transparent. And if you actually think they are, Pumzila, you are very confused. In West Africa, Mali, where an illegal military junta is controlling the government after the death of elected President Debe, who was going to, who just won election again, now the son major general has been appointed as the uh, correction. <laughs> I'm talking about Chad. Sorry, sorry, my bad. <laughs> Let me fix that. <laughs> Confusing stories. Too much. Uh, too many thoughts of Pumzile Fandam. Let me correct that narrative. All right, <laughs> in Mali, in Mali, where a military government has apparently overthrown the interim government was supposed to be in place for 18 months. We see that Mali's interim president and prime minister have both resigned 
after being arrested and detained by the military. President Ba Nda and Prime Minister Mokhtar Wane were detained, stripped of their powers, and then resigned in basically what is a second coup in just nine months by Mali's military, which of course famously committed a coup several years ago. The interim president prime minister released overnight at 1.30 a.m. We were true to our word, the official said, speaking condition and many family members confirmed that President Ba and Prime Minister Wane have been freed. Two men have returned to their homes in Bamako. Those close to them said, though the conditions of release were not clear. Development came after a day, a day after military officials said the country's transitional prime, president and prime minister had resigned while in detention, a move the United Nations called unacceptable. Yet another coup in Mali. Unbelievable, folks. Well, let's talk about Egypt, ladies and gentlemen. Well, let's talk about Egypt. Did you know Egypt is a major producer of oranges? Who knew that? Egypt's fresh orange export is squeezing out other citrus crops. Having leapfrogged Spain recently, Egypt is steadily edging closer to achieving its full potential as the world's top orange exporter. A widely desirable prospect that might be overshadowed further opportunities to diversify into other high-quality citrus crops and spinoffs. The Egyptian private sector was finally allowed to tap into the citrus fruits market during the late 1980s. Since then, key agricultural producers have increasingly channeled their resources into improving orange production while pushing for opening of new markets such as Brazil and Japan. Well, congratulations to Egypt, which seems to be doing quite well with its orange with its orange uh, industry. That's uh, nice. Good to have some news, positive news to talk about, including that as well as the the Western Cape uh, getting a surge in um, arrivals at Cape Town International Airport. But of course, uh, international travel needs to be opened back up uh, before the Western Cape can fully begin to recover from the effects of the illegitimate uh, actions of the National Coronavirus Command Council. We Africans must take responsibility for our role in slavery, says a Beninese artist, Beninois, putting up a display. Using the lens of decolonization, the Chateau des Ducs de Bretagne has invited Beninese artist Romain Hazume and Ivorian historian Gildas Abi Kaku to bring a new perspective to its collections and the transatlantic slave trade. Well, if you're going to admit the role that Africans played in the slave trade, then you must admit and be honest about the whole story. West Africans invented the slave trade in the region, and they did it for centuries. Eventually, the Arabs became part of it, and for centuries longer, for nearly a millennia, they were involved in the slave trade, taking West Africans through the Sahara, the Salon Sahara, up to North Africa and the Middle East and enslaving them for hundreds of years before the transatlantic slave trade ever began. What the Europeans brought to it was an industrial scale and efficiency, horrific efficiency and a horrible situation. And they didn't invent it. They were offered slaves in trade for goods, selling firearms, gunpowder, resources that weren't available in West Africa. So it's about time that people start talking about the proper narrative here. Lots of people are complicit in slavery. Today, 75 million people around the world live in slavery of one form or another. And the world just shrugs its shoulders and looks the other way. Sickeningly, millions of them are in sexual servitude. It's beyond comprehension, the horror that people go through. And that slavery is everywhere. It's here in the United States. If it's an 11-year-old girl or 12-year-old girl kidnapped from her leafy suburb outside Phoenix and taken to a house where she's molested and raped over a weekend, about to be sold off south of the border as a sex slave for the rest of her life, and fortunately, rather fortuitously, the people involved were under investigation by undercover authorities for other reasons when they discovered this and then rescued this girl. It happens in Sweden. It happens in Germany. It happens in South Africa. It happens the world over. And because these syndicates are rich, powerful, connected, people fear for their lives and don't take action while others suffer horrific things. But slavery never ends. It's a human condition, sadly, 
people feel the desire or the right to enslave other human beings. It's a vile, repulsive system, and it should be ended. And everyone that's been involved in slavery should be pointed out, not simply selectively pointing out those involved in slavery to suit a narrative. It is International Day for United Nations Peacekeeper. This statement from Secretary of State Anthony Blinken on the 29th of May, the International Day of Peace, UN Peacekeepers. It's tomorrow, not today. My apologies. The United States reaffirms its unwavering commitment to UN peacekeeping. We join the international community in honoring those who have served in UN peacekeeping operations since 1948, the more than 4,000 peacekeepers who have died in the line of duty, those who have been injured, and those who continue to risk their lives every day. We are heartened to see an increase in women peacekeepers every year. Why is that even germane? They aspire and support women and girls to be leaders in their communities and agents of change. What does that have to do with peacekeeping? This politicorrect woke nonsense. Well, speaking of woke nonsense, well, you're all concerned about women and girls? Then why exactly is Unimid pulling out of Darfur? United Nations peacekeeper withdrawal leaves security vacuum in Darfur. People in Darfur feel that the conflict is not yet settled, and I would have to agree with them. Victims of recent attack at a displacement camp in Darfur rummaged the remains of their homes. Many fear violence will rise when the UN peacekeepers withdraw. The departure of the long-running UN peacekeeping mission in Darfur has created a security vacuum as hundreds of thousands flee fresh attacks, outbreaks of violence in a conflict that civil society groups and displaced Darfuris told the new humanitarian is far from resolved. The joint United Nations-African Union mission, known by its acronym UNIMID, has been gradually drawing down since 2018, but its mandate was terminated in December after 13 years on the ground amid pressure from Sudan's civilian military transitional government. Aftermath of January attack for displacement camp, hundreds died in the violence, more than 150,000 were displaced. But the United Nations is leaving, not because the issue is resolved, not because they can't have an impact. They have had a positive impact in many respects in Darfur over the past decade and a half. But they're leaving because the transitional government in Khartoum wanted them to leave, and the world wants a pretty story in Sudan, transition from Bashir's government to democracy. Just like Zimbabwe. Uh, the world wanted nothing to do with Zimbabwe, the miracle, the miracle of Zimbabwe in 1980. And looked the other way while Mugabe's thugs from the North Korean train 5th Brigade went into Matabeleland and murdered between 20 and 50,000 civilians, oftentimes lining up in front of ditches like the Nazis did, shooting them in the back of the head. The bodies are there, folks. Many people know where they're buried. This crime should be exposed to the world. But the world doesn't care. Africa doesn't care. The African Union doesn't care. The United Nations doesn't care. They all pretend to, but they're full of it. In Hong Kong, Successful businessman Jimmy Lai has been extended. It says jailed again here in the BBC story, but that's inaccurate. He's already in jail. 73 year is currently serving time for participating in other demonstrations back in 2019. So he's been sentenced multiple times for the same crime, which is not really a crime. He'll serve part of his new sentence consecutively, meaning he faces a total of 20 months in jail. It's among 10 prominent activists who were sentenced on Friday for participating in unlawful assembly on October 1st, 2019. Other activists include Figo Chen, Luke Kuang Hong, known as Longhair, and Li Chokyan, who were sentenced to 18 months in jail. Luing and Li are currently both in jail and will serve their sentences consecutively. At the sentencing on Friday, Judge Amanda Woodcock said she found claims by some of the defendants that their march on October 1st will be peaceful to be naive and unrealistic, according to Reuters. Judge Amanda Woodcock. Speaking of the Chinese Communists, <laughs> the Friends Reunion censored by the Chinese Communist Party. Friends Reunion, BTS, Lady Gaga, and Justin Bieber will be censored in China. Justin Bieber? Something was amiss in China's version of the much-anticipated Friends reunion special. Guest stars BTS, Lady Gaga, and Justin Bieber were nowhere to be seen. Eagle-eyed fans found the stars were cut on all three Chinese streamers with broadcast rights. LGBTQ references, among other things, were also gone. Oh, come on. The left loves China. You know what? So what are they doing? 
If you love LGBTQ community, why are you in bed with China? It's believed the footage of stars were cut because they are deemed to have insulted China in the past. Sitcoms used to be popular in China and censorship has upset fans. Help, are we never going to move on and change? This will just make me want to find out more about the cutscenes. One person commented on the microblogging platform Weibo. Some fans have since sourced and shared the deleted clips on social media on their own, while others circulated links to the uncensored full episode hosted on piracy sites. Friends has a massive following in the country, with many Chinese millennials crediting the show with introducing them to the American culture and also teaching them English. <laughs> if, if you learn American culture from Friends, I think we have a bit of a problem to begin with. <laughs> Friends is hardly the norm. Um, privileged Upper West Side elites um, who whine about their lives. It's a good show. I enjoyed it. But it's hardly representative of American culture. Hardly representative of American culture. Joe Biden's $6 trillion budget proposal, larger than virtually every country's entire gross domestic project, is already specking, sparking plenty of debate, ladies and gentlemen. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. So the USA Today actually um, <laughs> reports the story, which I find shocking, that his proposal expect to increase the federal debt. Of course it's going to increase the federal debt. We don't have $6 trillion of income for the federal government, no matter how much money they steal out of your pocket and mine. After weeks of telling the benefits of President Biden's proposed spending increases, the White House will lay out Friday the effects of the federal debt on his first budget. The plan is already giving fodder for critics after the Times reported that by 2024, debt would be larger as a share of the economy than it was during World War II. $6 trillion budget plan for fiscal year that begins in October was called insane by House Republicans and I would have to agree with them. Absolutely insane. It's vile and disgusting. $6 trillion expenditures. What planet are these people living on? I introduced you to Breeze Airways this week, and they had their inaugural flight, flight from Tampa, Florida to Charleston, South Carolina, using an Embraer E-195, which is a nice aircraft. Flight number MX-1. Beautiful. Breeze Airways. Congratulations. Officially taken off, the long-awaited nonstop carrier has launched its first route earlier today. The flight itself was preceded by Celebration Tampa, including a speech by CEO David Nieleman, many photos, and the cake cutting. But that is Breeze Airways. Congratulations to them launching in the midst of a pandemic, a new airline. That's pretty bold. And speaking of congratulations, my stormers have re-signed Juan de Jong and uh, Dion Fury. Well, awesome. Both are former Curry Cup captains. And winners, there you go. Curry Cup winning captains Jean Dion and Dion Ferry have both signed contracts with Western Province Professional Rugby and will make their return to Cape Town in July. Springbok midfielder Dion, who lifted the Curry Cup at Newlands in 2014, has 97 Stormers caps and played 59 times for Western Province before he moved to the English Premiership with Wasp in 2017. The experienced center hails from Wellington, made his Stormers debut in 2010, went under 19 test caps for Springboks and represented the Sevens at the 2016 Olympic Games. Fareed led the DHL Western Province to the Curry Cup title in 2012 was a key player of the Stormers team that went unbeaten in the league phase of Super Rugby that year. 84 Stormers caps, 90 for Western Province. De Jong says he can't wait to get back to where it all started for him. While that's going on, let's take a look at this, folks. Rising from the south, Italy will host the Guinness Pro 14 Rainbow Cup final in Treviso. Treviso's Stadio di Mlingo will host game the Guinness Pro 14 North versus South final on Saturday, June 19th, thanks to the support of the Federazione Italiana Rugby and the Italian government. Kickoff time will be confirmed soon for the game at the home ground of Benetton Rugby, which has undergone a number of developments in the past years. A maximum of 1,000 fans would be admitted under current Italian regulations so they can be part of this historic occasion. Since announcing a dual tournament approach to the Rugby Cup on the 21st of April, Pro 14 Rugby began exploring the feasibility of hosting a final in Europe between the top-ranked teams from each competition. So that's how the season will end. This rainbow cup will end with a final between the winner. Right now it's the Bulls. Could still be the Stormers or Sharks. Uh, one of these teams will go to Treviso to play the teams from the north from the original 
Guinness Rugby League. So there you go. Folks, those are the news and headlines from today, the 28th of May. It's a Friday. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate your support for Chris White Africa and Adaba Africa here on the Adaba Broadcasting Network. Have a pleasant day. It is Memorial Day weekend here in the United States. On Monday, we honor those who fell in combat and in uniform in service to our nation around the country, and we thank them for their sacrifices. Thank you. Be safe. Have a wonderful weekend. It's also the unofficial start of summer season here in the United States because Labor Day or Memorial Day weekend is a long weekend with people, many people in government already off today and other people off Saturday, Sunday, as well as Monday because it's a federal holiday. God bless and have a lovely day, and we thank you for your support on Chris White Africa.